This is exactly right. Adulting is hard, but it doesn't have to be impossible. If you want to hear more about ways you can actually live your best life, check out How to Be a Better Human. Each week, comedian Chris Duffy sits down with an expert to talk about the realistic and often unexpected ways you can improve your life. This season on How to Be a Better Human, learn how thinking about death can actually make your life happier, why it's never too late to make a change, and more. Find How to Be a Better Human wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Prince. Look at you. What up? I love it. What up? I love that you're bringing it. Look, when I'm wearing a printed shirt and a red lip, you know the bitch is tired and I'm trying. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) You just know the bitch is tired and I'm trying. I started doing this thing where I feel like I'm walking like an old person. (laughs) Like you get up and you get up slow and you're like, oh, you got to stretch it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got to shake the... The leg out. You got to like get... I'm, I'm that person in an airplane that has to do like low-budget yoga by the bathroom door. <laughs> well, you're supposed to get up every 30 minutes on a plane. That's what they say. You're supposed Who's to get up they? every 30... Um, Who the fuck is they? <laughs> Who's they? Alexa. Bring them Alexa here. told me. I think the vacation starts, even if it's a work trip, uh, when you're packing. Try to have fun packing because it's so annoying. <laughs> who has Sometimes fun I get, packing? I go to Target and I get a fresh pair of panties. I'm just like, ooh, baby, who am I going to be with this high-waisted control top thong? <laughs> Did you know you can get a high-top thong? That's where it's at because I've never been able to find my belly button when I sit down since oh. the third grade. I did not know. And so a high yeah. top control thong. I think I thought you could just get like a mid or something like that or a cross trainer. But now you're telling me you can get up. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. What is your What does your wife wear? Is she into like the little boy shorts? Into boy shorts and things like that. What is yeah. she likes to um her uh, selection of undergarments. Um, Why do you always turn into Jingle Jangle when we talk about something <laughs> personal? I'm trying to be better. Okay, I'm great. I'm trying. Great. I'm I love trying. this for us. I went to Le Jean Provocateur for her and got her some okay. really good stuff uh, last Christmas. And I think it's really kind of like, it's definitely nudge the canoe. And... Um, Nudge the canoe. Does that does that mean make your dick hard? <laughs> what is nudging the canoe? I'm not from Texas. I'm from Jersey. Nudge the canoe I, just it means push things in a direction to my liking. What, what what are we pushing and where? I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm at the point in my life where like yes, do we really need underwear? Like if you're gonna wear something short, okay. But at that point, the bike shorts should just hang out and make it a look. But like yeah. This is why I kind of had to mute Lizzo on Instagram because... What's she do? I love Lizzo. Okay. I love Lizzo and I love her body positivity. But when I open up my phone in public and I'm looking at Instagram, sometimes it's just Lizzo's ass clapping. <laughs> like a standing ovation at the Oscars. Just clap, 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 clap. And I... It's not that I don't love it. I do, yeah. but I can't do it in public. And I don't have right. that thing that makes your um, phone dark so people can't see it. No, you just out here. Just broadcasting. I'm just out here. willing. To, I'm vintage, honey. Yeah. I'm vintage. Look over her shoulder on a plane. Okay. Broadcasting my business. <laughs> meanwhile, broadcasting her business. It's a lot of amazing, you know, uh, charged, uh, like, flesh going on. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, 
okay, what are these feelings? You know what I mean? I've never... (laughs) (laughs) Am I wrong? I love a booty that will swallow you whole. That's that's the best. I think we found the name for this episode. A booty that will (laughs) swallow you whole. (laughs) Truly, just like... Oh my mm. gosh. It's so fun to clap, clap your butt. And I'm just saying, like, as an expression of... um, It's a celebratory expression. Do you know what I mean? Like... Truly a celebratory expression. In episode one of a great show I'd like to call Survival of the Thickest. Mm, heard of it. Starring me, Michelle Buteau, um, <laughs> all eight episodes now on Netflix. Um, <laughs> I twerk in episode one. Yes, yes. I can't remember if you twerk on a wall. Do you twerk on a wall? Um, I put my hands on the ground and my feet on the wall. Yeah, you twerk on the wall. And so I wall twerk. That's beautiful. It's very fun. That was such a funny, funny scene. That whole thing that happens at the beginning when you just get wild. You have the wild night out with um, my man. Oh, my God. What's his name? Hugh Moore. Yes, Hugh Moore. Love Hugh Moore. Same. Hugh Moore. Same. Hugh Moore and Moore. That was so special. Oh, my God. Do you ever have those nights? Do you ever have those nights where you're just like, I didn't mean to get drunk, but here we are. Yes. I mean, not now because you have kids and... A really cute wife with cute underwear. But do you remember back in the Dizzy? Oh, God. I don't even know if you have. Have you ever? Because I've never seen you drunk. And I talk about this all the time. You say this all the time. You've never seen me. You've never seen me drunk. So I hide and I drink and I hide. And no one will see me. I'm on a rooftop. Leave me alone. Um. Yes, I've been wasted. Okay. In New York City. I have debated taking the garbage train home. Okay, it's been that late before <laughs> that I'm that wasted, Michelle. For people that don't live in New York or haven't visited New York, when you're on the subway um, at a certain hour, mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God, what's taking this train so long? And all of a sudden a train, you see like lights coming and you're like, oh <laughs> shit, it's here. But it's not. It's just a train full of garbage. It's not even like a subway. It's just like, <laughs> like a caboose full of like New York City disgusting vintage international mm-hmm. up yep. all night garbage. And you're just like, <laughs> should I hop on? This is my only chance to go somewhere. You don't know where it goes. It's like, no, bitch, you're not running from the law. Please don't do that. You're not a ghost in the movie ghost. So stop. Don't do it. Oscar the Grouch is the conductor. He's waving you on. <laughs> He's like, what you waiting for? I make all the stops. It is giving Emmy award-winning Sesame Place realness <laughs> when you see the garbage train. You're just like, garbage is a G word. It's the letter of the day. Clap, clap. What's the letter? What's the letter? What's the letter of the day? Oh, my God. We've been overdosed. We've been served too much Sesame Street in this life. You know what? And I feel like there's never enough Sesame mm. Street. Also... I was watching Sesame Street in Holland, the Dutch Sesame Street. What's that like? And God, what color is Big Bird? I think Big Bird is like blue or purple. No, no, Big Bird Big Bird is pretty... <laughs> Everybody in the comments, please tell us what color Big Bird is. But I'm pretty sure in these United States of America, Big Bird is canary yellow. Of course, it's uh, he's amarillo. Okay. In America. Right. But in Holland, I think he's blue or purple. I'm Gross. I'm getting an indigo vibe. I'm remembering that. No, I don't I, I hate that. I hate that for them. I feel like they're being deprived. I know. And that's just that's so sad. I know. That's so sad. Is yellow an offensive color in Holland? I don't know. No, actually yellow is like wasn't yellow like one of the most popular colors in mental institutions? I didn't know that. Like it's supposed to keep you calm. Yeah. I vaguely remember my parents having this argument when I was little when they were painting the kitchen. <laughs> my dad wanted every room yellow and my mom just like started blurting like very emotional facts and I was like, "What? Can I just get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with no crust?" <laughs> 
<laughs> it's the letter of the day. The things we remember. The letter of the day. What's the letter? Do you remember watching your parents argue, not all the time, but like at least like one or two times and be like, I want to jump in there. Are they okay? <laughs> Mom's really got this. Why is right. dad being a dick? Or like, can you just wrap it up so I can like go somewhere? Absolutely. There was always a threshold that they never crossed. Oh, wow. When they fought, and they did fight, you know, but it was more like, it was spats that didn't last for days. It was just like, you know, like mom and dad got at it about something. Right. She needed him to do something. He didn't do it. Yeah. And he's like, bop, 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 bop. And then it was like, bop, bop, bop. Did they ever raise their voices to each other in front of y'all? Oh, of course. It's hard not to argue in front of three kids. It's like, yeah. damn, they're always here. They're always here. We're always listening to the to the levels um, and listening for trouble in the house. You know, that's what you do. Yeah. yeah, they would argue in front of us. Um, it was just a war of words and nothing more than that, um, which was great. You know, I wish that's how they were with us. <laughs> um, but like, wow. Well, well, well. Jordan, how did that make you feel? How did that make me feel? I mean, I know they love, 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 love on each other. I think it's a beautiful thing. I also have thought, you know, I've been in therapy about it and basically have decided and come to the conclusion that they had certain deep fears, deep and abiding fears, of raising black children in Texas in the 19-whenevers. And um, <laughs> mm -hmm. it was just really tough for them because they were going from segregation to the suburbs. And so, like, every little move we made where we were like, I'm free, I'm entitled, I live in the suburbs. They were like, their training came from the civil rights era. Yes. My mom grew up in... Jackson, Mississippi. You know, it's so racist. So she had to deal with that. And so that was her, like, training and her tools. And so it manifested itself in, I'll just say, not the most diplomatic way of, of raising your children. So there was a lot of yelling and screaming and, and so on and so forth. And yeah, I had to learn, you know, marrying into this family, creating this family. Yelling is way down on the list of, yeah. of uh, alternatives. Yeah. Way down. Although I will say, I know we're doing good because you always just need to look at other parents. Mm -hmm. We were in the Berkshires and we saw these parents um, get threatened by their children, uh, like physically. Wait, the parents threatened the children or the children threatened the parents? Oh, the children, they threatened the parents. That's how it went. See, we were up there. Let me back up. We went up there <laughs> because <laughs> we get a free place up there because... Her mom's lovely, and she was babysitting the kids while we went to dinner in town in Hudson, New York. I won't put you on blast, Hudson, New York. Now, Hudson, New York is basically if Bushwick tilted on its side and slid into upstate New York. That's basically it. LOL. Do the research, everyone. So it attracts hipsters like me. It's sad. Aging hipsters like myself. So we go into this restaurant, which mm -hmm. is like, you know, small plate, this and that. Like, just freshly produced with the humble hands of people that went to Oberlin. Whatever. That's our vibe. We love that. So we go in there. There's only one or two places left. So we pick this little table, and it's next to this family. And we're like, we just escaped a family, but here we are. Now, um, I overhear this, the dad say, we're going to be here for 90 minutes, and there will be no iPad. By minute 15, the kids had the iPad yeah. on pumping. Yeah. And the boy had threatened the dad to burn him with a candle. Mm. To throw the candle at him and burn him. The boy was five years old. Mm. <laughs> I was like, the dad was like, 
He had the um, temperament of a customer service representative. He was like, if you burn me with a candle, then you won't get the iPad, which is what you wanted in the first place. Yeah. We got high and picked that thing apart. And we were like, you know what? We do. We doing good. <laughs> this is what I will say. Parenting is fucking hard. Yeah. Even like when I first adopted a dog, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't even know how to be a person in the dog park because I was so like I've gotten bitten by a dog and I'm just like, well, and now I've learned to love a dog. And now I'm just out here. I'm like, but dogs bite. Who bit you? Um, A dog bit me in Jersey when I was like walking home from um the bus stop one time, chased me, um, pushed me down and like bit me. And I was like, what? It was insane. And then like the owner casually came out. But what I realized is that that's that owner. That's that dog. That's not every dog. That's not every owner. And so all this to say, you know, parenting is hard. So I think those people are trying to do the best they can. They kept them kids alive. They have enough money to go out to dinner. So I, I ain't going to judge. I'm just not going to invite them over because I don't want to be around that energy. But these people were so Brooklyn in the worst possible ways. So Park Slope Brooklyn in the worst possible ways. Here's the thing, though. You say Park Slope Brooklyn in the worst possible way. And I got to be honest. I live in New York and I don't even know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? It's this. It's when you try to calmly negotiate with your child and end up being far too permissive. Yeah. And letting them run all over you. You are creating the next generation of just like dirt bags. If someone already has power over you at age five, imagine, imagine what they'll do out in the wild. He can make you do anything. He said, I'm going to take my sister's toys and throw them out the window when I get home if I don't get to sit where I want to sit. He was terrible. Do you know what I hear? Tell me. I hear unprocessed aggression. So Mm -hmm. them parents are trying to be real cute because they're not that cute at home. And they weren't that cute before. Mm. And so now they're trying to figure out how not to be that aggressive fucking monster because they were probably beat when they were little. Well, here's the coda to the story. Yes. I wanted to stay, not only for the entertainment factor, but because you know me. Oh, Lord. I like, um, I don't want to make a scene. I don't want trouble. I don't, (laughs) you know, I feel like if they know that I'm leaving, they'll know that, you know, how I feel. My wife gets up. Gives the lady the hairiest eyeball I've ever seen her give. Oh, my God. And, like, rattles, like, plates. And it just makes them understand we're leaving because of them. Because they could not handle their children. And they do not belong in the restaurant. And, two, I feel like everybody in that restaurant was making space for them. Okay. And, like, they had not come to a point. They're like, listen, some accommodation will be made for us. But, like, you're not a king. I got it. You know, it's all different, right? Like, I like to come from a place of tough love and just, like, love with, like, a dollop of, on it. Yeah. So I really would have sent over a glass of wine to the parents or a shot and be like, you got this. Keep going. Do what you got to right. do. Do you know what I mean? You're a good person. Because it would have been like, I see you, I notice, but I'm going to keep it moving. And just mm-hmm. so you know, you're not alone. Because they're really, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're just trying to figure out. Yeah. They thought that they were like, this is how I'm going to raise kids. And then all of a sudden they meet the kids. They're like, oh, no. This isn't what you do? Oh, shit. It's not all the things that I really thought I was going to do. It's not working. That's what it is. And so, yeah, I mean, I like to come from a place of just like, I see you, bitch. Keep going. You'll figure it out one day. Not today. Maybe not this year. But you'll figure it out. I don't know. That's just... Michelle. Yeah. They totally ruined my my seasonal scallop appetizer that I was enjoying. Because you let them. Don't give them the power. What? Huh? Because you let them. No, I... Don't give them the power. Okay, but it was braised. What I'm trying to say is, <laughs> the braised it at the table. <laughs> I'm 
going to tell you what. I'm not going to let nobody yuck my yum, bitch. I will be sitting in the apocalypse with a surf and turf fucking dinner. I'd be like, excuse me, zombies. Can you go over there? Because now I finally get to loot a place. Mm. Let me enjoy this TV with no cable. No, fuck that. Oh, my God. Honestly? No, people can throw me off. You you know me. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, both of you guys are water signs, too. Or is it air? Sorry, air signs. It's it, it doesn't make any sense. Aquarius is an air sign. Yeah, both of you guys are air signs. So, like, if somebody is, like, water and fire, it's very, like, they're in your face with the can of mace. And so you guys are affected by it. Do you know what I mean? You're affected by it. It's like a fog. It's like, yes. there's hot, there's cold. Oh, no, what am I doing? It affects my space. And so that's, like, not to get too much into it, but that's why you guys are affected. Me? 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 I'm going to order more appetizers. I might even take care of their bill, okay? I'm going to kill y'all with kindness. So they'd be like, Listen, oh, shit. So what would y'all do? What I want to hear from the audience. What would y'all do in this situation? It's adulting at its finest. And it's like, you're trying to be an adult, and then you're judging people that are also trying to adult. <laughs> um, well, we do like to do that. That is one thing me and, me and wifey like to do, is uh, what we call people watch. And when we people watch... Um, Really, we're just talking shit about people on a bench. I know. You guys are judgy. I've met you. Listen, just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you guys, I, I just need to, like, move on <laughs> because we can talk about... But this is circles. This is, like, yes. like pure, unadulterated circle jerk talk. Like, I can just go back and forth. <laughs> circle jerk is not the way. But the point... It's funny how one word just changes the whole fucking... The point is, very excited <laughs> about this episode. So excited that we got yes. this amazing, beautiful, smart, kind, forward-thinking guest. Um, she is a writer, a showrunner, um, a producer. She has uh, worked on The Carmichael Show and My Name is Earl and New Girl and a bunch of other stuff. She also, my most favorite thing she works on, though, she is the showrunner. Um, for my show, Survival of the Thickest, boop, 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 boop. available on Netflix right now. And uh, I'm so glad that we finally, finally got some time to sit down and talk with her. So please, everyone, help us welcome Daniel Sanchez-Witzel. Yeah. The man, the myth, the legend behind the machine. Hello. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi, this is so exciting. Thank you for joining us today. Jordan. Thank you for inviting me. I, I felt so special. I was like, what? Me? On the podcast? Are you crazy? It's very exciting. It's overwhelming in all the right ways. So let's just get into it. Let's do it. Let's. I feel like I know a lot about you. Yeah, I think you do. <laughs> I think you do. So I realized this is like very tough because when you know so many things about somebody, it's just like, what do you even ask them? It's sort of like going on a date night with your husband, it's like, all right, you fucking know everything. Like, what are we going to talk about? Let's see. I mean, let's just get into it. Let's get deeper. Let's get closer. Is there a question you always wanted to ask, Danielle, that you were afraid to, that you said, niche, niche, not now? No. <laughs> no, wait. But what I will say, this is why I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I fucked with Danielle. But when I was like trying to put like my show together and figure out who's going to do what, A24, very lovely production company that does our show, was like, you should meet with Danielle. And I was like, I'll meet with her. And then Danielle was like, I don't know if I'm going to meet with her. Give me a minute. I just got to Netflix. I don't know if I want to meet with like everybody with big titties and freckles. Just give me a fucking minute. Wow. It's not exactly what went down. <laughs> but the, I just got to Netflix part is true. But the rest of it isn't really true. And look at you now. Look at us now. We couldn't be closer. It's your podcast, but I'm just going to be honest. 
When you get handed someone that you see star quality in immediately, which I did when I saw Welcome to Butopia, you just, that gift is like, you don't say no to that gift. You know, you're like, this person is a star on a television show. I make television shows. How could I not partner up with this person? So certainly the I just landed at Netflix part is true, but the rest just isn't because when I, you know, really thought about making a show with Michelle for Michelle, I was just like, it has to be a yes. And look, I'm really smart. I was right because she absolutely is a star. And that first day we started rolling, I mean, we had already been together for what, a year? We had been developing the show for about a year. But that first day we started rolling, you know, the producers sit behind the writers, sit behind the, like the quad split. We started rolling. We were in a, we were in the convenience or what do you call it? What do you call it? Bodega. Sorry. California girl convenience store. And you know, her face, we were just like in a close on her face. And I was like, Oh my God, this is going to work. This is going to be fantastic. And she's even better than I imagined. The gooseies, as Michelle would say, I got the gooseies and. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been making television for 20 years and you don't always have that feeling, but I knew it instantly. So very grateful to be partnered with you. Oh my God. You too. I know. It's a wedding speech at every turn, Jordan. Do you understand? <laughs> I love it. I could only say it if I meant it. I couldn't say it if I didn't mean it. Well, that's what I love about you too. If you don't mean it, you 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 ain't gonna mean it. <laughs> we know. That's, it, that's true. It really has been a masterclass watching Danielle in all Zoom meetings because like I'm in New York, she's in LA. Zoom meetings for sort of like fighting for what's right, fighting for what you need, figuring out a middle ground. Um, I know there's a lot to get to, but we are fresh out of what seems like a very long year of negotiation. Yes. You're on the negotiation committee for the... Um, Writers Guild, yeah. Um, no wrong answer. What was that like? It was a lot. I mean, I'll be honest. It was a lot. There were about 20 of us between West and East, plus our officers and the co-chairs of the negotiating committee. And I have never done anything like that before because I like to sit on my couch and watch 90 Day Fiance and do nothing to really affect the world in any sort of positive way. Um, but, you know, when a friend of mine who's one of the officers in the West asked me to do it, we were right in the midst of making, you know, I was in Brooklyn shooting Survival of the Thickest. And, you know, Michelle and I were really experiencing and Grace Edwards, who was a writer who was there with us and, and really everyone. I mean, the whole crew was affected by some foundational things that we needed that we didn't have that meant, and look, I think this is true in so many industries, right? Meant being overworked, meant being too many, you know, it was too many hours of work. We're too too few people were being asked to do too much. Very talented people. We ended up with a great season one. Mm. You know, we were living in the reality of doing that. And so I think it's why I said yes. Otherwise, I would have stayed on my couch watching 90 Day Fiance. Look, I still have time to do it. I schedule it. It's so good. Yeah. So good. But, you know, I think... um Obviously, as you know, and Michelle's a hyphenate, SAG-AFTRA was brave enough to walk out too. And I think um, I'm only a member of the one union of the Writers Guild. I feel like we got what we needed and we are now in partnership with these studios and really moving forward in a positive way. I mean, I'm feeling that directly. I work at Netflix. Our show is at Netflix, but I also um, develop and you know work on projects for them. And I feel that the partnership is really strong and that there was an understanding of how kind of streaming changed the business and how we needed to correct. And, it, you know, it, it feels good to have fought for something 
won something and also feel like it was received, you know, on the other side of the negotiating table and went, okay, we understand this is how we're going to need to do it. Because I I think negotiations at their best are not a lose-win, they're a win-win, right? That's the best version of it. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, these are the studios that make the shows we want to make that make Michelle a TV star and the star of so many things on Netflix. Oh. <laughs> you know, so many things. And so we want to be in business with these people and we, we just want to get what we need foundationally. And I think that that's what, you know, all of the brave writers and actors who were willing to to make a big sacrifice were able to say... And like, again, I don't want to speak for actors. I'm not one, but as a writer, I can say, I feel like that we really did get gains that are kind of understood industry-wide. So I'm really, it feels like a good way to, you know, be able to move forward out of what was a really hard time for so many people. Yeah. And we're just used to it. Yeah. We're just used to just doing it, doing all the work, showing up for free, flying ourselves out, saying yes to the dress. Oh, it's just a quick favor. All of a sudden, we're overwhelmed. We can't get it done. And we can't even get money when we ask for it, even though we can do it. Mm -hmm. It's insane. But now it feels like win sanity because we're winning and it's also insane. What was the first show that you were a showrunner on? Carmichael Show. The Carmichael Show with Gerard Carmichael, yeah. Um, I know Jordan has a question because... I just wanted to... Just just a point of order. Point of order, Your Honor. Oh, okay, okay. The listeners... They might not know what a showrunner is. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So if we could define that. Oh, Jordan. Do you want to tell us or you want me to tell you? I want in your own words. What does it mean to you? Because you are that, you know? Showrunners in television are writers. They're writers. They're often creators of shows or like in, in Michelle and my situation, a co-creator of a show they may not have a, a, anything to do with creating the show also. So Carmichael, I did not, the Carmichael show I did not create. Nick Stoller, Drug Carmichael, Ari Kacher, and Willie Hunter created that show. And I was hired after a pilot was shot. But basically the showrunner is going to be like the head writer, but not in a, people might know that term from like SNL. You know, it's the person who's going to ultimately be in charge of the show, be in charge of pre-production when you're coming up with stories and you're working with writers, be in charge of production when you're working with crews and, you know, all these talented, you know, department heads and directors to actually make the show and going to run posts, be in charge in post when you're working with talented editors. And so it's the person that is kind of ultimately someone has to make decisions, those decisions might be influenced by a creator star like Michelle is. And so you're making those you know, decisions in concert with someone who is the engine of the show, whose show it really is. Carmichael was Gerard Carmichael's show. I was there, loved it, so proud of what we did, but always recognized that was his show. And and Survival of Thickest is Michelle Buteau's show. That is Michelle Buteau's show. I am a hmm. big part of it. I'm so proud to be a big part of it. But showrunning, you are the writer who is leading the whole process. Can I just also say... I mean, what she's leaving out, what Danielle has said is true. It is very black and white. But what you don't see until you're in it is like the little shades of gray in between where you are constantly putting out fires. You are everybody's fucking therapist. The writers, the talent, the people paying. You have to figure out how to talk to people. You know, that's why I understand why people might lose their shit. That's why I understand why a lot of writers are balding introverts. (laughs) Look, you don't have to have kids to understand what it's like to fucking take care of people. Yeah. Because it is 25 hours a day. And like, I didn't even understand what a showrunner did. It's sort of like driving or like having a dog or like fishing or whatever the fuck it is. Like, you see people do it, you're with them, and you're just like, okay, this is how I would do it differently. You know what I mean? And then you get in that fucking seat and you're like, oh, fuck. 
So what's like the one thing that was like a huge learning curve where you're like, that took me out. I didn't understand that part of it. But here the fuck we are. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a good observation that you're that you're making. And look, you were so clearly, even though I am the showrunner, we really ran that show together. So you really got an intimate. I gave Michelle at the beginning of the, doing the show <laughs> together. I said, there's an A option, B option, C option. A is you know everything. B is you know most things. And C is I only tell you what you need to know. And she picked to her credit A. We wrote we mm. rode with A, which for her knowing everything. So she really, you know, we really were, you know, to give Michelle credit, doing this in concert together. But I think the thing that's crazy is, so I'm a career comedy writer. Not that drama writers necessarily are going to have better leadership skills, but I will say comedy writers don't necessarily have good leadership skills, right? It's not what gets you in the door. It's not what gets you hired in shows. You do not have to, you know, like, it's not a requirement of the job to be really great at the job, to be great at it, because Mm -hmm. you spend a whole career being on staff. So like most shows have somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 writers, you know, or that least in broadcast, that's how we used to do it. And, you know, and it's so like you're there, you're coming up with stories and you're, you know, you're pitching jokes and you're like, it's that's what your whole focus is. And then all of a sudden someone hands you a show and the next day you were in charge of everything. And I think to answer your question, the first difference I felt, so you're usually at a round table, like literally a round shaped table in the writer's <laughs> room, just so you can see everybody and that's what it is. And so you're used to being, you know, I'm joking around and I'm making fart jokes in the corner and all this stuff and like waiting for, you know, to be told, well, what's the assignment? What are we doing? Right. And the first time I was at the head of the round table and everyone was looking at me to be like, so what are we doing now? I was like, oh my God, every day I'm going to have to come in and lead this charge and say what direction we're going in and what is the task for the day? And like, what are we getting done? And that just having different perspective at a table, I had spent, you know, at that point, I don't know, 17 years of my career or whatever, 16 years of my career on like a slightly different part of that round table, just to be the one to have 10 people look at you and be like, so what's happening today? It's like, oh my God. And five days a week, I'm going to have to come in and be like, so here's what's happening today. And you get used to that skill, but the first time everyone's staring at you, you're just like, why are you looking at me? I'm like, oh my God, I'm in charge. That's oh my why. God. That's how it feels making yeah. dinner every day. I'm like, oh fuck, you're hungry yeah, see, again. I don't have kids, so I don't know, I don't know that pressure. But you still have to feed yourself. <laughs> Not in Brooklyn. I die seven nights a week. So here's the question. Do you like to end the day early? Do you like to stay up like a sequestered jury? Like, what do you like to do? That's also part of my question too. How does this affect your personal life? How do you have a relationship with yourself and your husband if you're taking on the energy of so many people? Not only is it a good question, it's the question. You know, there's a thing called the Showrunners Training Program and the Writers Guild. And I went through it, luckily, which which was great. Amazing. Um, Anytime I go in and talk, it's often showrunners who are coming in talking to showrunners, you know, or people who are about to be showrunners. That's the question. It's so what's the balance? What's the work-life balance? And the last time I spoke, <laughs> the last time I spoke in that group, I straight up cried. I am not a public crier, <laughs> but I bawled my eyes out to 10 oh, no. showrunners or future showrunners. And it was bad. <laughs> I was just like, you know, it was so bad, but I had so much emotion coming from, you know, after we made season one of Survival. And, you know, it just, the truth is like, that's a skill that I'm not great at yet, that I hope I get better at as I continue to make shows because it's not fair to do to yourself. Yeah. Showrunning is hard for everyone. Hmm. I think women have unique challenges with showrunning and there's so much of the life that is just not fair. I'm really lucky that my dad, who was hilarious, 
and, you know, really taught my three older sisters and I some great lessons. One is wake up every day and love what you do because he hated his job. Mm. Um, two was volume wins arguments, which is true sometimes. Mm. But three, he always told us, and, and this is a thing when you look at your parents and you go, don't say this to me, but he always said, who promised you fair? Mm. When we were growing up, anytime we said it wasn't fair, it's like, who promised you fair? And it was a great lesson. And look, my mom was so foundational with all of those things too. It was a great lesson to be like, who promised you fair? So when we get into, um, mm. you know, when we get into situations where you're like, oh, I just want this to like, I just don't want to have to work so hard. Or I don't want it to take over my whole life. It's like, there's no fairness with it. You've signed up for this job that is very difficult. There is no set hours to make a show. It's like you have to keep doing the work until yeah. it's done. And if you want to do the best version of it, those hours are going to be really, really long. So I, to be totally honest, I haven't figured out the balance exactly right because every time I've run a show, it has completely taken over my life. And I, like I said, I'm someone who who chose not to have kids, not because of the career. It's just not something that my husband and I, at least this this far, you know, have decided um, that we want. We don't like children. No, we love kids, but we have lots of nieces <laughs> and nephews. And we just, you know, it's not something that we did. So I, I can't even imagine with kids. I certainly, you know, employed people who have kids and like try and be mindful of it, but it really is, is very consuming. So I guess my answer is moving forward. I, I would like to give myself grace yeah. which I think a lot of us are thinking about in life coming out of COVID. Those of us who are in the business coming out of a long strike, you know, and we're still in it. We're still in the COVID and the world is just so difficult for so many reasons right now. I would like to give myself some grace. Yeah, Perfection is like a motor, unfortunately for me. And I want to just tell myself that like, not that I don't want to put good things out into the world, but that there has to be some sort of balance somewhere. Yeah. You gave me a piece of great. Well, I don't. It wasn't even an advice. It was just like I think you were just sharing something. I was like, yeah. What? I remember like your husband. Like when we were writing the show together, he would like get dinner, or, like give you lunch, just like hand you a bowl or something, or give you like two choices. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. He's so supportive. I mean, without that, I don't know. So supportive. Well, yeah, because then I went off to Brooklyn to make Survival of the Thickest and was by myself and ate pizza every day. So I was like, oh. I don't have time or energy to... But that's like a part of it too, right? Like he knows what you need and learns how to take care of you and doesn't like resent you for it. Yeah. I remember you were like, oh, I can't make any more decisions at the end of the day. I was like, yeah, me too. That ding, 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 bitch. That's what it is. There are so many decisions to make every day because when you are the people who are guiding the show, which Michelle and I are, and, and again, had Grace Edwards to to help us be part of that process, it's like, everything. What color is this dress? What are they holding? What is it? Like, there is nothing that isn't. There's amazing talent. And we worked with just the crazy, most talented crew. The best. Um, in Brooklyn. And so they're bringing their own things to the table too, thank God, because we couldn't possibly be in charge of all of that. But there are so many decisions to make. And it starts in the very beginning with the stories and what are the stories that we're going to tell. And it goes all the way to the end of like, what's the song and what's the this and what's the that and it is a non-stop decision-making uh, uh, extravaganza well that also has a certain amazing and artistic validity which is just that like it's total commitment so total artistic and you know um creative commitment which to watch it or to describe it what it felt like was like you know when people surf those hundred foot waves in portugal it's like every fiber of your being has to be on focused, locked in. Mm -hmm. And not to say that it's life or death. That's not what making making television is. But in, <laughs> in America where 
the arts are not at all supported and this is this is people's creation of course the stakes are so high they feel almost like that you know and you guys perfectly executed it and to do that takes the maximum like takes your maximum i i could feel it in your voice what you're saying so to me like that's your child that's your you know that's your creation michelle you're my child Oh my goodness! Oh wait, that's not what he meant. No, no, no! no. I, I meant the show. The show, uh, God! I, oh boy! We oh, are at the, the world. end, you almost—we were so close. <laughs> we are the children. I I appreciate you saying that so much, Jordan. I mean, it is. I think anyone who's if anyone who's made a show, but certainly anyone who's made a show inspired by their own life, which so many stand-ups do. And I love working with stand-ups because it is such a um, huge amount of responsibility for exactly the reasons you're saying, Jordan. That that 100-foot wave is like, this is her brand. This She's worked she's worked so many years to get this. People are going to mm-hmm. tune into the show because of that work she did. We have to get it right. You know, the Carmichael show was, the characters' names were actually his family. Like, it was like, we were like... <laughs> oh, shit. I remember yeah. 20th being like, is this going to be okay? We're like, I think, I mean, Gerard says it is, so I'm assuming everyone's going to be fine with it. But, you know, there's a huge amount of responsibility to get it right. And I think we all feel that. And I appreciate you calling television the arts because I don't know that a lot of people do call it that, Jordan. You know, I think there's especially comedy, especially the half-hour space, but we certainly are putting stories out into the world and a vibe out into the world that we, you know, are proud of and lots of people work hard on it to make it happen. From the beginning when we were like trying to pitch stories and get shit made and done, it's just like the hardest, most awkward conversations I've ever had with my parents have been a scene in a movie or a lyric in a song or just, you know, when Roseanne Ball kissed her girlfriend at the ball, I said, (laughs) mama. Okay, you guys, we got to get to questions. So we have audience members that writing questions about adulting and we try to answer them and we're going to let you answer first. Mm. And it's very fun and sometimes Love it. confusing. First question, call her what's your name and where you're calling from? Just kidding. They wrote it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My partner and I just moved in together and I realized that she doesn't wipe herself after using the bathroom. <sighs> oh, dear. When she gets into the shower. Oh. I confronted her about this. <laughs> Oh, no. I confronted her about this and she said, it's fine. I'll do it in the shower. I find this so gross. Is this a red flag or am I overreacting? Ay, 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 Conchita Rivera Rodriguez. <laughs> is that, is that, are, are you calling me to go? Is that how you're referring to yes. me? Yes. It's my turn. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Can I ask questions? Sure. Did it say a one or a two situation or it just said bathroom? Did not specify what number was coming out of what hole. Yeah. Just said bathroom, shower. Also, why are you all up in her business to know whether she wiping or not? Sounds like the doors are open. Well, the doors need to be closed. Mm-hmm. I'm an open door peer. What? Sorry to everyone and to my husband. who is, I just don't, it's not, yeah. it's not always, but like I don't make a huge effort to get it closed. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, a jar. But what what if, is it is it a number two? Are you closing? Oh yeah, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a. I monster. just gotta know who I'm dealing with. I'm not a monster. Well, well, uh, Michelle never works with me again. <laughs> I think I think here's where here's where my mind went with the with this question. Mm. If it's pee, mm. the walk from the toilet to the shower bothers me. Because there's driblets that are hidden somewhere if yeah. it's pee. So I have a problem with that. If it's poo, <gasps> and let's say there's like a handheld something in the shower, 
speckles are still hitting the wall. (gasps) So I think it's a problem for the partner no matter what. There's not an okay scenario for that, I think. I have the solution. Oh, my God. I love when he puts his finger up and he starts doing Obama because you know he really means it. I have the solution. I want to hear it. Okay. So uh, what we're seeing is a problem, but I see an opportunity for a Japanese toilet. Yeah. This is a toto. You could just get the seat. I I got to be honest. I got a Japanese toilet. There's still a remote that needs to happen that you, that you touch. I will say, and this is, and I'm not proud of this, and we might have to edit this out because I'm not sure how comfortable I am sharing. LOL. We'll keep it. Some of the best sex I've had have been with the nastiest motherfuckers. They'll just put their face in anything. So maybe you're having really good sex, but she's not wiping the drops. So what? This is a solo incident in a sea of what? What are the po- what are the positives that we're getting out of this thing? Let's not judge on one nasty. No, I'm just kidding. Let's not judge on one, you know, like one thing because if this is that person's only flaw, yeah, yeah. I think you live with it because you're doing all right. It's not a red flag. I think you're overreacting a little bit. Yeah. Here's what I do. If mm. this person is is a great partner, I wear socks in the bathroom in case there's any driblets. You know what I mean? They don't hit my feet. And now I'm like, and now I'm, you know. Yeah. Now you're absorbent. I mean, if everything else is great. I think it's really rude to like leave your piss everywhere. Like I I, I could never be married to a man. You know, men pee around the toilet and shit. I'm like, you got to get it together. Because, you know, I'm not potty training. Yeah. That's disgusting. You know, I don't mind if you don't wipe before you go in the shower. But you got to clean your pee-pee up. That's... That's a red flag for me. <laughs> now you're just being inconsiderate. <laughs> That's the deal breaker. That's the deal breaker. You got killing your pee-pee up. Okay. Yeah. I often yeah. will like head right to the shower. Like if if I know that like sex is on the menu, I head right to the shower just in case and hit all my parts and then I'm ready. Got to get clean to get dirty. Good for you. You know what? We yeah. need to eat on a clean plate, Jordan. Thank you for that. What's the next question? Okay. Next question. Here we go. Okay. Time is super limited, and eating healthy has become tough. Mm. Have you ever used one of those food delivery systems where the meal comes portioned and all you have to do is cook it? Any recommendations for how to eat healthy when I get home and I am exhausted? Wow, this is, I mean... This is a good-ass adulting question. Danielle, I'll let you take this because you know it. Well, I am just going to have to preface by saying I don't know how to cook anything. I am the youngest of four girls, and I am Mexican-American. You think all this adds up to being able to Mm. cook. But here's the thing. Our only job growing up was getting straight A's, which, look, judge away. That might have been problematic already. But my mom did all the at-home stuff, and my dad went to work, and it was that kind of thing. But they both recognized that that was a archaic system, and they both overshot to make sure we were independent, (laughs) fierce (laughs) women I say all that, and then I'm the one who didn't have kids. So in case my sisters hear this, they can cook. I can't. They figured it out because I had to feed human beings, and I'm the one who didn't have kids, so I continue to not have to feed human beings. I ate pizza in Brooklyn. Like I said, people said, you're not going to be able to eat pizza every day. And I said, you're wrong. And Michelle watched me do it. I ate pizza. If I had to feed myself, it was pizza. That's true. And I was in the best city in the world to possibly do this. So one time, all of that to say, one time I thought I was going to get into cooking and I ordered Blue Apron Mm. thinking this is going to be right. That's the one that gives you all the ingredients and they had stuff in little bags and the... the, the, the. (laughs) It started with, there was a breakfast recipe 
that started with in a mini muffin pan. <laughs> Do I have a mini muffin pan? The whole shit went in the garbage can. I'm not proud of throwing away food, but I took the box and I put it in the trash and I said, I'm not going to purchase a mini muffin pan. It didn't tell me I needed to have anything in my kitchen to make this shit. And so I literally, all that food spoiled and I threw it away. And so it's not for me. Now they have this thing. What's it called? The I see it on football. Well, that's so food delivery already made. I'm in for because that you put in the microwave. Yes. But there's this thing called Tavala. No thanks. So you have to buy an oven. No. Nope. This is not an ad for Tavala. No one ever asked me if I wanted a free Tavala. I don't because I don't. But anyway, <laughs> they send you food and then, but you have to have a special oven and you put it in the special oven. No. And it's my vagina is the special oven. No. Hey, <laughs> I was born with it. Okay. Uh, next. Qu- Ooh, next question is the sexy one. How do I approach my wife about potentially playing with my asshole during sex? <laughs> <laughs> this is adulting all over <laughs> Danielle. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like, I'm curious how long they've been married, but it doesn't say any of those things. Mm-hmm. I hope if you are in a marriage that the two partners are comfortable enough mm-hmm. to say, I want your finger in my ass or whatever the thing is, mm. because you're already having the intimate sex and you decided to be life partners. Yeah. Right. You know, people who like don't fart in front of the other spouse. I'm like... I used to be that. And then I had to stop. I understand it to a degree, but I think I think of forever when I think marriage, right? And I go, Mm -hmm. I'm not farting forever unless I run into another room. Like that's forever is a long (laughs) time, you know? And I don't want to give the illusion of like... The first six years I hung on, but and I but now they just have to, you know what I mean? So I hope for this couple that the intimacy, the fact that they have sex, the fact that they are married can allow for probably, I, what's the worst that could happen if you say it? Ooh, that grosses me out. Yeah. Probably that's not even going to happen. You know what I mean? It's your partner. I love that sentiment. I, I also feel like do what Jordan does. Like make sure that the restaurant is clean before we want to go eaten. I think um, a couple of tips could be, I don't know if you guys watch porn, maybe find a video in the porn when that happens. Mm. You're just like, I could be interested in that. Or maybe go to a sex shop and, you know, be like, well, what is this? Because it sounds like you don't necessarily feel comfortable asking for like things for yourself, which I understand, especially like sexual things. You're probably just like happy somebody, your life partner wants to do it with you, which is great. Also, Beyonce, what's her, what's the name of her? Um, Sasha Fierce is her... Alter ego. Yeah. Alter ego, thank you. I was like, alias? That's not it. <laughs> Perhaps for you, yourself, you give yourself, like, you know, fake it till you make it, like an alter ego. You know, you come up with like this person that doesn't mind asking for things, if that makes you feel more comfortable. Definitely. Also, start small. This is your booty hole. You don't have to be a hero. Jordan. Love it. That's a new magnet. Yeah. Ask for things. Ask for things for your butthole. Um, I feel like, you know, also this is what vacations are for, you know, like going away. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Birthdays, anniversaries. A special occasion. Yeah. Look, occasion, maybe like rent a hotel room, a nice hotel room for the night. Something like that. So the anniversary thing made me think, so my parents are, I said, my dad's very funny. Um, He passed away in 2015. My mom is still with us and also very funny. Apparently, when they were young, they said their 50th wedding anniversary, my mom was going to do something for my dad. They were going to make something happen, right? Oh. Well, they made 50 years. And my dad died shortly thereafter. We had kind of heard this joke, you know, over the years. And we all have our guess of what the thing was. 
I don't think it happened, but it was hysterical to watch two people at that age actually go, it's 50. Hey, today is, today is 50, babe. And be like, oh my God, is it going to happen? You got to think through what you promised. Too true. Look, I would need a contract for that. So this has been lovely as fuck. Yeah. We ask all our guests. All of them. I love this. I love this. It's like it, it's it's like a motivational go on. <laughs> we ask all our guests, what is the most adult thing you want to do for yourself this year that you haven't had time to do? And it could really be anything. Some people say take a trip. Um, which drag queen said I want to go to Capri in Capri's and drink Capri Sun? That was Che Coulet. Che Coulet. Oh my God. What a great answer. Yes. And the most adult thing that I want to do was like figure out how to make a salad dressing. So it truly can be anything that you want to do for yourself that you haven't figured out how to do yet. Such a good question. And you'd think coming on here that I would have thought this could be a question that was asked of me, but I, it didn't occur to me at all. <laughs> you got all year. Oh yeah. It didn't occur oh, to yeah. me at all that this could be a question... I mean, I would like to, and this will make sense given what I've said, I would like to be able to feed myself. Mm. It's pretty simple. Yeah. But I would like to be able to feed myself. And to the person who asked, like, how do you eat healthy? I'd like to be able to feed myself in a healthful way. I burned refrigerator cookie dough the other day. So like, oh, I no. would like to give myself some credit for being able to follow some instructions get on the old YouTube and be like, let's cook a chicken breast together and see how this goes. And like, just believe a little bit more in my ability to feed myself, which may sound small to people. It's actually, it's so overwhelming right now that I feel sweaty. No, it's it's not easy. I feel it for you right now. Cause I'm just like cookie dough. Yeah. It's 10 minutes and 3.50, please. It said seven and I looked and they, they look too soft. 10 minutes is the perfect. You got to ask your friends that are garbage cans like me that always make cookies. I just want to say, you might not be able to feed yourself, but you have fed our souls. And we appreciate <gasps> oh, that. Oh, my Jordan, God, Jordan. Carlos. Oh, oh, my God. Before we hang up, can we just talk about how adorable Jordan was in season one of Survival? Because Michelle said, I have to have my dear friend Jordan. He just, his face has to be in season one. And we, and when I met him, I was like, I see why his face has to be in season one. Oh, yeah. It was a small part, but it was actually hugely important storytelling wise because we needed people to like Jacques, the ex-boyfriend of Michelle's character, Mavis. And the idea we had was we got to put him with someone who we like. And if that person <laughs> likes him, then it's kind of a, a signal to the audience to be like, like him. There's more to him than yeah. just being a cheating fuck. It's yeah. like there's this other thing. And so Jordan served that purpose for us. You might not have any idea that that was an important purpose for us, but it was and it worked. It was just my excuse to hang out, but it was it was so much fun. It was on the street. It was North 6th Street. I'll never forget Williamsburg. It's a beautiful day. The light was just right. It was a wonderful afternoon. It was wonderful. Yeah. As a comedian, you're like, ooh, a day of work. I get to support my friend. I'm in this show. I get a little notch on IMDb. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> now that I could see how the sausage and the cookie dough is made and the bigger picture, mm -hmm. I'm like, look at these beautiful Black men that are not being arrested you know, that are educated, that are wild, that are funny, that are dressed well, that are friends, that are not in competition with each other, that are not on like love and hip hop, that are not like mm -hmm. serving the buffoonery that like a bunch of like basic cable wants to serve us that they think that that's what we are. And so I was like, oh my God, looking at it, editing it, looking at it on a big screen, watching people watch it on an airplane. I'm just like, this is fucking beautiful and we need more of this. So thank you, Jordan. Oh, thanks. And thank you, Taylor Soleil. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you, Jordan. And thank you, Danielle. 
I love you both. I love one of you more, but only because of the time we spent together. No. I paid her to say that. I paid her to say that. Head start. It's all good. It's not personal, (laughs) but I feel like Jordan could and and might catch up. So I just want to... Wow. Challenge. Let's not (laughs) overpromise. Friend. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine working with that all day long for like a whole year? It's pretty good. Oh, I mean, I see it. You are the company you keep, whether it's friends or business. So keep some good ass company. Yeah, do that. Do that for yourself. Surround yourself. And that's something that I really admire in you. Oh, Is that you're very fastidious with the company you keep. What does that mean? You know I'm from Jersey. Um, that... <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. What in the jeopardy is going on? It just means you're very careful with who you choose to hang around. And I just picked a a big word. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, you like to. You're married to a teacher. You guys, that's like your love language. Oh, my God. We were like tripping over over a word yesterday, which was such a beautiful word. And we're like, look at us knowing this word. What was the word? Aporia. Aporia is the introduction of doubt into an argument. And we both knew it. And we were like, oh, my God, I fucking love you. You guys deserve each other. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What? No, it's nice to be around couples that definitely work. Well, you know, we try. We try. We got to go in for maintenance every couple months. You know how it is. But it's like, you definitely are. (laughs) We're making it happen. I am very proud of you. Um... It is fun sitting down with a showrunner, especially um, being both of us being multi-hyphenates because a showrunner, you're doing 17 things while you have this passion for this one thing, which is like creating. Mm. And then also television, of course. And so it's really, really fun to find like-minded people, even if we didn't grow up in the same era to like still love on like these special moments in TV shows that sort of like influenced and affected like our lives, you know, or yeah. our happiest and our saddest moments, you know? And so I'm just like, it was a real good hang. It was a cool hang, man. It all felt like five minutes. Yeah, it was a great hang. She's hella funny. I get it. I see the chem chems between you. And <laughs> the best metaphor is the 100 foot wave. I'm like, that's the best metaphor for y'all both. Like you're just doing it, carving it up. Yeah. And making it look easy. But here we are. Yes. Here we are. Oh, my goodness. I'm excited. I also have a date night tonight with my husband, so I got to get out of here. We're going to go to the Knicks game, but I'm not going to get high because I don't know how to be... I don't know how to be high in public, so... That's fair. Wish me luck. Okay. Um. Yeah. That's great. Are you going to be on Celebrity Row? I think so. Yes. People don't know about certain things in New York, so I'm just going to go ahead and toot my friend Michelle Buteau's horn. Okay. There are certain signs that you have made it in New York City. Chief among them is floor-side tickets to the Knicks that you did not pay for. It was your talents that got you there. But you got to be cool about it, Mm. right? You can't Mm -hmm. be, like, hype. They get, like, mad at you if you get hype. Yeah. You're on the front row. You're on the big screen. Yeah. It's an honor. It's a priv. The Knicks will not win. But you are there doing your utmost. And the winner is you. Michelle. Look, I really feel like we're only in competition with ourselves. (laughs) The fact that we show up and try, we've already won. Oh, my God. But that's why I don't get invited to games all the time. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> we did it. All right, everyone. Bye. I got to go. <laughs> this has been an Exactly Right production. Our senior producer is Jiha Lee. Our associate producer is Christina Chamberlain. This episode was mixed by John Bradley. Our guest booker is Patrick Kotner. Additional production support from Hannah Kyle Crichton. Theme song and live show DJing is by DJ Don Will. Artwork by Jamie Bechtel. Photography by Reis Vandermost. Executive produced by Karen Kilgara, Georgia Hardstark, and Danielle Kramer. Follow the show on Instagram at adultingthepod. Email your questions to adultingquestions at gmail.com. 